This episode is brought to you by Delta Airlines. One of the most underrated parts of a trip is that flight home. And that's why Delta Airlines tries to make you feel at home long before you even get there. Now, for somebody like me that's a homebody, feeling at home in the air is very valuable to me. And I love to curate that comfortable experience. And what I love about Delta is they have over a thousand hours of in-flight entertainment. They have Wi-Fi so I can do anything else that I want to do on my devices. They have great food and drink, and it just creates a positive end to my trip. They have fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, more than a thousand hours of in-flight entertainment, and they have premium food options and beverages like herbal teas, cold brew, sparkling wine, and more. All of the comforts that you'll find at home, you can find in a flight experience that feels made just for you. You may not be home yet, but Delta Airlines helps you feel a little bit more like it. Delta Airlines believes that you should feel at home, even if you're 30,000 feet above it. Learn more at Delta.com. You are listening to Blessed and Bossed Up, presented by Anchored Media, an entrepreneurship podcast for Christians all about how to make God the CEO of your business. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, but well-equipped to live and build your destiny His way. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast. The last couple of weeks, I've been answering the questions that you guys sent in, and they've been such good questions. I want to finish them up. So I have a few left that I'm going to answer throughout this episode. I love when we do these mailbag episodes because this is my opportunity to like talk to you guys and feel like, you know, we're engaging outside of social media. This is an opportunity for me to answer directly what you want to know. Because with podcasting, we talk uploaded to the internet. I'm essentially talking to myself for the 30 minutes or so that I'm delivering the message. And so I love to do these type of episodes because it gives me the opportunity to engage. Now, before we get into the last set of questions, remember we have a giveaway going on right now. All you have to do is follow me on Instagram at Tatum Tamia, T-A-T-U-M-T-E-M-I-A. And I'm going to be giving away the Life Application Study Bible that I love, as well as some other books and tools that I've used over the last five years to grow uh, my business and to just grow as a woman of God, as an entrepreneur, and all of those good things. So all of my favorite things I'm going to send to you. We're going to do this all the way through the month. So we got a couple, maybe a week and a half or so left. And then I'm going to uh, choose someone. And make sure I get your information so I can send you all the goodies. All right, let's finish off these questions. So the first one is in reference to podcasting. It says, how can I grow my audience? And I know nothing happens overnight, so I'm willing to put the work in, but I'm not sure what I should be doing. And she mentioned that her podcast will only be audio. Any of you guys who have a podcast or are looking to start a podcast, the work to make sure that your listeners grow, that you get the listeners you want, that you're able to convert those listeners into customers and build these platforms, the work to do that happens before the podcast is ever released. 
The same way on previous episodes where I talked about validating your business idea, you need to also validate your podcast idea. Do the market research to understand what type of shows are out there. What are people who I want to be in my target audience? What are the shows that they're listening to? Why are they listening to these shows? How long do they listen to podcasts? Do they prefer just audio or are they visual people? I could tell you one thing that consumer behavior is showing that most people are watching podcasts now on YouTube. So the same way they'll stream shows and watch it in a room of their friends, they'll turn on a podcast in video format and watch that while they work or they'll watch it while they are um, they have friends over. I've even noticed in my own analytics, most people listen to the podcast from a desktop so this type of research that you do is going to be very uh, helpful to inform you how you need to set up your show. So that show development is something that's super duper important to make sure that you're putting out a show that stands out, that people actually want to listen to, and that people are going to advocate for. Because word of mouth is always going to be the number one form of marketing. And the worst place that your business or your podcast can be is in a gray area because then people are just going to be like, meh, they're not going to share it. They're not going to listen through. They may subscribe, but they're never going to listen to another episode. So again, that, that research and validating your idea early on is super important. And of course, shameless plug, <laughs> definitely check out Anchor Media, anchormedia.com to see what we have going on because this is something that I teach podcasters to do prior to launching so that they launch correctly. And this is a, a an important step and reason to why a lot of the shows that we work with are charting off the bat, are getting clients off the bat because of this very key part that people skip over. And that's the part that's going to make your show grow consistently over time because you can chase these viral moments, but that's not sustainable. When you go to an advertiser or when an advertiser comes to you, they want to see what are your 30-day listens per episode for the last eight or so episodes that came out. So if, let's say, the third episode went viral, but the fifth one didn't, that shows a spike, but that doesn't show consistency. And an advertiser is not going to pay for inconsistent numbers. So unless you're going viral every single week, you need to do something else and be very strategic and intentional about your marketing. And marketing happens before the show hits the airwaves. So if I was you, I would really do a ton of research to understand your listener behavior. Again, see what other shows are out there. What's the gap? Is it as simple as my show is going to be a daily show that's only 10 minutes long so my audience can get that motivation they need on the way to work? It can be as deep as, okay, my show is going to air live on YouTube every Saturday afternoon because that's when my audience is listening. They're able to watch me live and engage with me and invite friends over and all of that. Whatever it may be, allow your research to inform how you're going to form this show in a way to where you are meeting the need of your audience. You're giving them something they want because podcast listeners listen for selfish reasons. Right. I ain't calling y'all selfish, but you're here because you're getting something out of this. You're not here to just hear me talk. You're here because you're getting something out of this. You're listening for you. So I'm creating in a way to where there's shared value, where my goals, yes, are being met, but I'm also creating for you. What does God need me to say here that's going to impact you? It's not about 
me and what I want to do and my goals and my testimony or anything like that. It's about you. So for your for you that's creating this platform, you have to solve a need for your audience. Your audience wants to be entertained. They want to be inspired. They want to learn something. They want to have problems solved. So identify what that need, that problem is that your audience has, and you fill it with your show. And that's the most important advice that I could give you. Other tactics, these things work where you can do, like there are a ton of um, places where you can do like cross promotion. So you have somebody on your show, you go on theirs, or you promote their show on your platform and vice versa. You can have different guests who have uh, audiences of their own and work out an agreement where they promote the show from you, from um, them being on there. All of these tactics are strategies that you can implement um, to grow your listener, but you can't forget this most important step of just strategic show development. And again, contact Anchor Media. <laughs> we know what we're doing. So you can go to anchormedia.com to learn more about us and how we help podcasters. The next question is a business question. She wants to know, how can I expand my nightly prayer journal business? What are some good marketing strategies? So for any of you guys who are looking to grow your business and you're looking for any type of marketing strategies, here's what I suggest that you do. I want you to really sit down and outline your buyer's journey. Simply put, the buyer's journey is literally just the path that someone takes to purchase. And so you need to think about, in order to do this, you need to have a very deep understanding of who your target audience is. And I'm not just talking about demographically. When I ask people a lot of times who their target audience is, they tell me their age, maybe their education, their location, all of these different demographical uh, factors. I want you to get into the psychology, the psychographics of your audience to be able to really understand their consumer behavior and how do they make informed purchase decisions? Because that is going to tell you what you need to do or what marketing strategies you need to implement, not just at the end of the funnel. So not just when you're trying to get them to buy, but every step of the journey, because those marketing tactics may look different. So let me give you an example, because you said that you have a nightly prayer journals business. What problem do these nightly prayer journals solve for your audience. Who is this person and why do they need a prayer journal? After you identify that, let's say the answer is, um, this is someone who is a type A high achieving woman. She's busy throughout the day. So as soon as she gets up, let's say she's a single mom. As soon as she gets up, she gets her kids ready to school. She goes to work. She wants to spend time with God, but as soon as she wakes up, everybody needs her. So now when it comes to the end of the day, she wants to use that time to spend time with God before going to sleep and de decompress her thoughts. But she has a hard time getting her mind to calm down from the day to truly focus on that devotional and study time and really spending time with God. Great. So now we know the problem that this solves it, this journal, and I'm just making this up because I don't know any details, but let's say this prayer journal helps provide mental clarity and it allows this woman to decompress so that she could truly have that, that uh, quiet and uh, quality time with God at the end of the day. Cool. Now, now that you understand who she is, why she needs this, the problem that this journal is solving. Now, where does she go first to solve this problem? 
How does she even know a prayer journal is what she needs to decompress her mind and spend time with God? So these are the questions that you ask yourself as the business owner. And then the answers to that uh, define your marketing strategies. So let's say what she does is she asks friends. She's in a friend group. They go out to brunch every fourth Wednesday. Who goes to brunch on Wednesdays? Every fourth, (laughs) every fourth Sunday. Okay. Let's say every fourth Sunday, they go to brunch together and they're all talking and just sharing different things on how they can improve their life because they're type A, they're high achieving, they're always trying to grow. And it's she gets the recommendations for a lot of the products that she used based off of this social group that she has. And so then that can tell you, ding, 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 well, let me have some type of referral program or let me partner with these women groups who organize these type A gatherings and let me partner with them some type of way so that I can maybe speak to the group or get my prayer journal in front of them, whatever. This is just allowing you to think about how she makes her decisions and come up with solutions. And the thing about marketing is all about testing. You know, try different things. What See what works and see what doesn't. Maybe if you want to do more of a digital focus, get into some of these Facebook groups or get onto podcasts or whatever it may be. The first step is to think, When this woman decides that she needs a solution to decompress and spend time with God at the end of the day, what is step one of what she does to solve that problem? And that's where you need to make sure that you're communicating with her um, in that space. Then from there, now that she's identified, oh, you know what? I should get a nightly prayer journal. Then she moves on to the stage where she is considering which prayer journal is she going to buy? A great place to be in is when she actually realizes she needs the journal to solve her problem. And then you're able to say, hey, the journal was the answer and here it is. I have one. So she doesn't have time to go and consider anybody else. That would be a great place to be in, but still be prepared. If they're considering other options, where is she considering that? Does she Google nightly prayer journals? If so, maybe you need to have some type of SEO, Google AdSense strategies to where your content is ranking at the top. So when she's doing those Googles, she's able to find your specific prayer journal. Then after she weighs her options, now it's time to purchase. So maybe this is when you slide in with a coupon code. Uh, you get some type of incentive, something that makes it easy for her to make that final purchase with you. So for any of you guys who have the similar question, define your buyer's journey. And I believe that will help you tremendously with creating a marketing strategy that's giving you that return on investment. And if that's just not your thing, hire somebody, hire a marketing expert who is going to help you to be able to build out that marketing strategy and build out that buyer's journey. I understand that in the beginning stages, we're doing a lot and we're wearing all the hats and doing all the things. But one of the greatest things that you can do as an executive early on is understanding what your limitations are and make decisions to where your weaknesses aren't hindering your company. So if it's simple as, if it's as simple as, you know, I'm not a marketer. So I I, I hear you, I understand, but my brain doesn't work that way. I just want to write the devotionals. I just want to do the things. I don't want to think about how to create this marketing strategy. Hire some type of company or anyone else to do it. And if that means you have to work longer hours at your job, cut back on other expenses, 
put your car on Toro, do some DoorDash, you know, Instacart for some people to get the money to invest in this aspect of your business, then that's simply what you have to do. I remember when I was looking to quit my job and being full-time entrepreneur, I had no clue how in the world that was going to happen. I just simply did not know. I didn't have my MBA yet. I was still new in business. It was a lot that I just didn't know. And so, yeah, I could have tried to Google my way to success, but I didn't want to do that. So I hired a coach who was able, who specialized in exactly what I needed, which was going from um, an employee to a full-time entrepreneur. I didn't have the discretionary income to afford a business coach, but I figured it out. I called my parents. I humbled myself. They gave me a little bit of money. I got a part-time job cleaning buildings to make some more. I cut back on my grocery expenses and started eating crap in order to put allocate those funds to the business coach. I did simply what I needed to do to get to where I was trying to go. And that's something I really want you guys to internalize here. Nothing is going to beat hard work. If you going, if you're going into entrepreneurship, you are a problem solver. If you're the executive in your business, it is your job to identify anything that's keeping you from your goals and to put 100% of your effort into eliminating that constraint in your business. And so right now, if marketing is your constraint, then all of your resources need to put into solving that problem so that you can start seeing the return on investment and the sales that you're looking for through your marketing efforts. Okay, so the next question says, how to build business credit, where to start? Now, disclaimer, I am no expert on business credit whatsoever. What I'm going to tell you are some things that experts have told me as I am looking to grow my own business credit. The first thing that I've learned is in the very beginning where you're trying to build your business credit, your personal credit matters tremendously because if your business doesn't have any type of credit history, they're going to look at you as the business owner. So for example, when we just bought this commercial property, it's 100% owned by our new business. So I don't own the property personally, but I'm a guarantor of the loan because the business doesn't have uh, any business credit because it's brand spanking new. And so myself and my partner, we're the guarantor. So our business credit was looked at, or excuse me, our personal credit was looked at in order to get approved for this loan. In addition to that, something that else that I learned that I didn't even think about was make sure that wherever you start your business credit journey, so if you get a credit card or a loan or something to start that out, make sure that they report to all of the business credit bureaus. I thought that this would be a no-brainer. <laughs> I didn't think that that was something you even had to ask, but one of the experts that I was talking to was saying some companies don't report. Now, in the, those instances, you can self-report, but why not choose a bank to that's going to report to all the business bureaus? So that's one less thing that you have to think about. So ask that question when you're looking at different options. Also, make sure that you go ahead and get your Dun & Bradstreet number. They are one of the uh, major business credit bureaus. And whether you sign up for a, a Dun's number or not, you have one. So you can just go to their website, which is dnb.com, literally davidnancyboy.com. You can go straight to their website and search 
for your business to get your DUNS number uh, and then create an account with them and all of that so that you can monitor your business credit that way. So that's somewhere else that you can go make sure that you have all your information up to date for your business. Um, and then when you're asking the different credit bureaus or banks or whoever you're not credit bureaus, but whatever banks you're using to get a credit card or a loan or something like that, ask them if they report to um, Dun & Bradstreet as well. I believe that's a good starting point for you. Again, that's just some information that I received that's helpful that I've been utilizing as I'm on my business credit journey. And I suggest that you seek a business credit expert. Go into your bank, whoever you bank with right now for your business, go into your bank and sit down with the banker and build that relationship with them. Let them know what your business goals are and what you're trying to do and see what advice that they can give you from the bank's perspective and build that relationship up because it's going to be useful and it matters. A banking relationship matters for your business. This next question is a really good one. It says, I was listening to another podcast and the title was around business isn't a ministry. I was conflicted at first because I often describe my business as a business tree. God, and that's cute. God inspired me to start a t-shirt business and even provided the resources. My mission is to help Christians express their faith through fashion and the shared story of what God has done in their life. I often feel conflicted between the idea of my business as a business or ministry. Can you explain the difference between the two? How are you supposed to separate the two when you feel like they are both? I need to make money, but I also want to help people. Thank you for giving me some clarity. Great question. This is something, this is a conflict, I believe, a ton of believers who are entrepreneurs. You come to this space because most of the time you've created your business from some type of space where you want to help people, right? It may be because of something you've gone through or a skill that you've developed as a result of your testimony or whatever, but there's usually some type of personal connection that you have to what you do. And there's most of the time, of course, a desire to help people. So I 100% get it. Now, I 100% agree with the title of the podcast that you referenced. I'm not familiar with the podcast, by the way, at all, but I agree that business is not ministry. And the first big differentiator lies in the legal structure of your entity. Are you a for-profit organization, a business, or are you a nonprofit organization? If you just want to primarily help people and, you know, tell these stories and use the clothing and the fashion to raise money to further help people, and the nonprofit route might be the best route to go. And that's the, that's not to say that nonprofits don't make money because they do. But the primary function of the nonprofit is to serve the mission. And everybody, you know, the, the executive director, the treasurer, who's ever holding these positions, they get a salary. You have a set budget and everything that you agree upon within your uh, board and things like that. But the overall goal of the organization is to use the tax advantages, the money that's raised, the grants, the donations, and all of that to push the, the mission of the organization forward. Now, on the for-profit side, a business, the job of the business is to make money. Now, you can be a social entrepreneur in a sense to where you are mission-focused but you're not a nonprofit. So for example, I actually read this in a magazine recently. Yes, I still read magazines. Um, 
old school <laughs> in so many ways. Look like the oldest 30 year old you're me. But um, I was reading through this business magazine and it was a company that is a coffee shop, but they are social. They're a social business because they partner with, I think, foster care organizations or something like that, if I remember correctly. And they hire the, the kids who have aged out of foster care to work at the coffee shop. So that's the mission aspect of the company, but they're still a business and their job still is to make money. So for you, I would go back to the business structure and weigh the pros of, and cons of each. Do I want to operate as a business whose fun job is to make money? Or do I want to operate as a nonprofit to where the money that we make is just going straight behind the mission? Or do I want to be a social entrepreneur? And I'm giving you the title because I want you to really look it up and, and do your research on it to make the best decision for you. Um, but do you want to be a social entrepreneur where you are heavily focused on the mission? But if you choose that route, remember your job of your business is still to make money. And making money does not mean that you don't care about people or that you're not helping people. And I really want us as faith-based entrepreneurs to really understand that money is not bad. You're not more righteous by having less money. And you're not less righteous by having more money. The Bible tells us that for the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible tells us that you cannot serve uh, two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And so I believe that these scriptures oftentimes are used to keep people of faith broke, to give money this image as if it's bad or make you feel like you're more righteous if you're turning it down or not pursuing it. But your job as a business owner is to make money. Your job as a believer is to obey God. And the only time that making money becomes bad is when money becomes your master and when you follow it over God. And again, there are ways for you to implement more missions within your business. So again, you have a fashion business. Let's say that for every shirt, and there are plenty of companies that do this. Bombas does this. It's a sock company. Every time you buy a pair of socks, they donate a pair of socks to homeless shelters. Um, what's it called? It's another business that's similar. Tom's, the shoe company. When you buy a pair of shoes, they donate a pair of shoes. So there are business models that allow you to be more mission-driven than most but they're still businesses and they still make money. And because of the foundations of their businesses, you buy one, they give one. The more they sell, the more they're able to do. So think about something like that for your business. You know, the more shirts you're able to sell, the more women in shelters you're able to give a shirt to and provide these messages of hope through whatever the uh, message on the shirt may be. There are also so many other ways that you can show that you can help people and show the love of God through your business that isn't giving things away or sell, discounting your products or services. I have a business, not a ministry at all. <laughs> and I help a lot of people. This podcast is free, but companies pay me a lot of money for them to insert their advertisements and things like that on this platform. So I'm still able to help people, but I'm making money. If I go on tour, we're going to charge for people to come into the event because there's costs associated with that. Now I do want to help people as well. So sometimes I may do, and we did this when we went on tour where we did a giveaway of a ticket 
a VIP ticket for someone who may not have been able to afford the ticket price. We provided an opportunity to help somebody and have them be able to come in for free. We had a situation one time, one of our clients, she had some things going on in her personal life and she went through our program and wasn't able to to really implement a lot of the things that she was learning because of something that she was going through. And so I offered her an opportunity to come back and do the program over with the next group for free. And it touched my heart because when that cohort ended, she had just expressed her gratitude because a lot of people threw her away and didn't want to continue to help her and didn't take her, um, what she was going to, through into consideration. They just wanted the money. And so things like that, and that's one example. I do a lot that I do not talk about. There, That's one example of how you can still have a business whose core function is to make money, but also still help people. And that's why, you know, God will lead us on when those instances are. So if you're not going to do, if you're not going to incorporate the mission into the core function of your business, like what I was talking about, where if they buy one, you donate one. If you're not going to do it to that extent, still make sure that you're seeking God daily. You know, you're spending time with him. You're allowing Holy Spirit to show you, hey, bless this person, bless that person. Or if it's on your heart and it's something you just want to do, then do that. But to answer your question, though, the core difference between the two is in the structure of the entity. Businesses are to make money. Nonprofits are to use the money that they get to advance the mission. And you can have a mission-driven business. You just need to set it up that way. And know that the job isn't to make less money because you're mission driven. It's to just work it into the business model to the more you make, the more of a blessing you can be if that's the route that you choose. The next question says, how do you hold yourself accountable without being too hard on yourself? Do you have any tips for developing new habits like positive morning routines? I have such a hard time with consistency and doing things when I don't feel like it or when I'm not motivated. Great question. I'm chuckling a little bit at the first one about how to hold yourself accountable without being too hard on yourself because I was so terrible at that. At one point, like my friend Tish, she was a therapist and always brings me together. She would, I think I did a podcast episode some years ago about be nice to yourself, but that's something that was constantly, I had to tell myself and that she told me, but it just rang in my head like Tatum, be nice to yourself. She made me sit down one time and write down everything that I had accomplished she was sick of me. She was like, I'm tired of you acting like you don't do anything. I'm tired of you acting like you're a failure. Sit down, write down every single thing that you've done and accomplished. And don't talk to me until you're finished. Like, <laughs> that's exactly what she did. And I literally sat there and wrote it all out. And I kept it in my journal because I would go back to it when those self-deprecating thoughts would come. So for you, I would do the same thing of just sit down and write down those wins. When I first was getting ready to leave my job, I used to keep a little wind jar. Everything small or big, I write it down, toss it in there. And whenever I needed that encouragement, whenever those nagging thoughts came, I would take something out, read it, and let myself be proud of myself for a change. And so those two things were very, very impactful for me. And over the years, I've gotten a lot better at it because I understand now that this is a long game. Life is long. What you're trying to build in your business is a long game. And the only one who knows it all is God. And it is such a relief to be able to not know 
and just seek him for the element that I'm supposed to do and then just leave it at that and let God be God. Like really just breaking myself away from the, the controlling behavior of trying to keep my hands on the steering wheel, trying to do it all, this hustler, um, overachiever type A personality, just really, I had to break myself out of that. And that came through a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, a lot of practice of just trusting God and seeing the result. And then that made the next yes a lot easier. So those are some things that I did um, to really break out of being so hard on myself. Now, when it comes to holding myself accountable, though, I have a routine that I do every week, usually Thursdays or Fridays to where I sit down and I have a little meeting with myself and I say, what went right this week? What went wrong? I always plan my weeks in advance. So when Monday hits, I already know what I'm doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I have an idea of like how what usually comes in my inbox throughout that week. I have like a boundaries around my schedule. So I work in my business Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that's when I take all my meetings. That's when I do all of my work that um, is required of me in the business. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I work on the business. So that's when I'm identifying new opportunities. That's when I am maybe having different types of meetings where I'm getting to know somebody new or going to different events or whatever. Those happen three days out the week. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now listen, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. It's not just about the gross, but it's about what we net, what we take home. And NetSuite gives you the perfect opportunity to net more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing in accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With the way that the economy is looking right now, everything costs so much. So when it comes to these businesses, we have to make sure that we are cutting costs and finding ways to save money and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash blessed. netsuite.com slash blessed. netsuite.com slash blessed. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. I've been telling you guys that I'm planning a trip for my husband's milestone birthday that he has coming up. And as we choose which location we actually want to go to, I've been thinking a lot about learning a new language once we narrow it down. Because when I get there, I want to throw myself into the culture, into the language. And a part of that is learning exactly the language that they speak ahead of me getting there, right? Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning platform available on desktop or as an app and that it truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. I'm most excited about the track record of Rosetta Stone because, I mean, they've been trusted experts for 30 years. Millions of users and 25 languages offered. I mean, Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Japanese, 
Dutch, Arabic, Polish. They have fast language acquisition. So Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. So no English translations. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. They have an intuitive process so that you pick up language naturally, first with words, then with phrases, and then sentences. And overall, it's designed for long-term retention. They have speech recognition, so a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. So it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient. So again, those desktop and app options with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. And best of all, amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Blessed and Bossed Up listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Now, um, on Thursday or Friday is when I sit down and I say, okay, this is what you set out to do this week. These are all the things that you had written down and planned out. These are the high priority things, low priority things. What went right? What went wrong? How do you feel? Was this week tough? Why? Was it easy? Why? And really just take a second to check in, not just with what I've done, but with, with myself, how do I feel? Am I doing too much? One of the things um, that has come up that has I feel like I'm not doing right that's been frustrating me is my weight loss journey. So you guys have been very blunt and blatant about like, you know, my, my health journey and all of these things. But in addition to being healthy, because I'm very healthy, I've wanted to lose the weight that I gained. And that's been so hard. I work out five days a week. I have a trainer and working out is one of those things I don't like to do, but I'm used to it now because I hired somebody to hold me accountable in that area. And I was getting frustrated because we're doing a lot of strength. So I'm getting a lot of muscle, but I'm not losing the fat that's been there, you know, and I'm not, I'm gaining, it looks like I'm gaining more weight because I'm gaining muscle, but I'm not seeing the loss of the fat that I want to see. And as I was doing my check-in, I'm like, okay, I don't have time. I can't realistically add in more workouts. So that's just simply not going to work. I do an hour a day. That's literally all I have. I'm, I can't, there's nowhere else that I could pull from to pull in another hour or however long for some cardio. And so as I was trying to figure out, like, how am I going to solve this problem? And I was talking to my husband about it. We were like, well, maybe instead of doing the strength training five days a week, do it two to three days a week. And then the other two use that same time limit or same time frame to just do straight cardio to help get you towards those results. So that's something that we're going, I'm going to do moving forward where I'm going to cut back on the weightlifting days and do more cardio days to try to get myself towards this goal. So that's how I hold myself accountable is really just checking in, seeing what's not working and problem solving and coming up with new solutions and then evaluating the new things I implemented to see if it's working and if it's not. And then just adjusting accordingly. 
So that's how I hold myself accountable. I also suggest maybe having an accountability partner, someone where you guys both need that extra push, where you can do that for each other. That can be helpful. I know that's helpful for a lot of people. And actually in the society, Rosalind has been doing accountability circles where uh, we all get together virtually and she pairs people off into these groups where you check in with your person and they have these conversations about what they're working on and all of that. So if you're looking for like-minded people, shameless plug, I would definitely suggest the society uh, to find an accountability partner there because everyone in there are entrepreneurial and women of God. And then to the second question about the tips for developing new habits like morning routines, I found it easy to create routines around what comes naturally to me, right? If I'm not a morning person, I'm not going to force myself to wake up early if I don't need to. So if you could stay up late versus waking up early and staying up late is easier for you, then do that. You know what I mean? It's easier to maintain the habits that are more in line with what you naturally do. So that way, when it is that time, you have more energy reserved for those times you do have to push yourself as opposed to your whole day being a struggle to go against what feels natural. And uh, so for me, waking up early comes naturally to me. If I didn't set an alarm, I would wake up at 6.30. And also I realized that I am my best when I don't wake up and I'm going straight into doing something for someone else. So there was a time period where I would wake up and I go straight to doing this for this person, this for that person. And by like seven or eight or so, my phone starts going off with other people who need stuff from me or my email starts blowing up. And I really value that time where I can just start the day slow. And because I'm an early bird anyway, and most people asleep that early in the morning, I like to get up and just take things slow. And that puts me in a much better mental space to start the day than when I start the day straight into go, go, go mode. And so again, in addition to planning around or creating routines that are catered towards what's natural for you, also what is the environment or the routine or schedule that you need to operate your best? I know in the evenings, my brain cuts off afternoon, evening. I do a lot of thinking, right? I'm a strategist with people's podcasts. I'm a strategist with my business. My brain gets used a lot throughout the day. So in the evenings, I can't plan anything that requires my brain to be functioning super sharp. I need to mentally rest. And so I create a schedule that allows me to decompress, to take a step back, do mindless things. If I still need to do things in the evening, I do things that don't take a lot of mental space like cook. So once I start working, I go cook us dinner. I love to do it. If it's something I enjoy, it fills me back up. I'm providing dinner for my family. It's, it's allowing me to get my brain to rest. I'm usually like watching a YouTube video or listening to a podcast when I'm cooking. I don't like people to be in the kitchen talking to me when I'm cooking. It's just my way is where I can zone out. And so that's the way my schedule is set up. Now, if that wasn't the case, I might cook. Some people cook breakfast in, or cook dinner in the morning so they don't have to worry about it at the end of the day. It all depends. And the way that you figure out what works for you is to just take that step back to see, okay, where, wh how can I operate at my best? What type of schedule do I, do I need to create so that I can operate at my best? What type of boundaries do I need to put in place so that I can operate at my best? Then after you create that, check in 
do it for a week or two. And it's, and then at the end of that time period, say, okay, how do I feel about this? Was I able to be more productive? Do I feel like more of myself? Am I, do I have a lot more energy? Take all of these things into consideration. One of the things that um, informed me changing my diet was this check-in. I was, one day I was like, man, what's going on? I'm sluggish. I'm tired all day. I work out every day. So I don't, I'm exercising. What's going on? And that was something I took to prayer. I'm like, God, where am I getting, getting things wrong? And God showed me my diet was a big part of why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. I made that change. Haven't eaten meat or dairy since. And I feel great. I have so much energy. I'm not even exhausted at the end of the day at all. I have a lot of energy to do what I need to do. So again, just sit to figure out what's the foundation. If it's something that you feel defeated by, pray fast. Say, God, I'm, I'm really trying to get this right. Where am I missing the mark? I love when I go to God and I ask him to tell me about myself <laughs> because I always get read. And it's always funny because God, you can't keep nothing from him, but he always checks me, pulls me together in such a loving way. And then also gives me the solution to move forward in a way that's going to be beneficial to me and what I'm, what I'm trying to do for him. So again, that would be my suggestion for you. Be nice to yourself. Check in with yourself every week. Make the adjustments as necessary. And as time goes on, you'll be able to see the changes. My husband and I were talking the other day and he said something that really just made my whole entire week. I don't know what we were talking about, but he has said, oh, this is what happened. He was reading the Bible and he was in Proverbs and he said that he was reading, he read Proverbs 30 because I don't know what he was doing. Something led him to Proverbs 30. So of course, 31 comes after and he was like, man, I thought about you when I was studying because I remember that Proverbs 31 was something that was, you were always talking about. Like, how can I do this? How can I figure this out? Ain't no way she was able to do all of this stuff. How can I, you know, model this virtuous woman? He was just reiterating all the stuff that I would be saying and how stressed I was at one point after having our son trying to figure out how is all of this going to happen and grow. And he was like, just commending me. He was like, to see to know how much you were stressing over that and to see you now live it out. It's a, a beautiful thing. And that was the ultimate validation for me. And he said it so calm, cool and collected, but for somebody to who's very intimately involved, of course, with my everyday life and we're building this family together to be able to recognize the progress and just the level of harmony our lives are able to operate in at this point. It just really blessed me. And so I can't emphasize enough to you guys when you ask these questions about developing the routines and being accountable, it's a day-by-day, decision-by-decision thing. And the best thing that you can do is to sit down with God, allow him to show you yourself, build out some foundation, whatever, start somewhere, some type of schedule, and then check in every single week and make the adjustments necessary. And I promise you over time, you'll start to see that productivity increase, the peace of mind increase, the just everything start to operate a lot more harmoniously. 
So I'm gonna stop it here. I still didn't finish all the questions, but this will be it for the mailbag series at this point. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast. I love you guys and I will talk to you next week.